Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, let's kick it off with realwatersports.com. In the Outer Banks, of course, and uh, Scott and I are headed there in about two weeks, two and a half weeks. Yes, Real Water Sports. Uh, We're going to a camp, a summer camp. We're going to be singing uh, Kumbaya, playing guitar, probably roasting marshmallows and attempting to foil. Attempting is the key phrase. When are you, was are you concerned? Um, well, the thought that I had was I don't remember the last time I learned a new activity as an adult. You know what I mean? Like I learned a bunch of new activities through my teens, but it's been yeah. twenty or thirty years that I fully started from scratch on something. Yeah, I saw some uh, thing on Instagram of DJ Khalid, and he was trying to foil, and he completely failed. Have you seen this? I have, yes. He completely fails, and it looks like he almost gets disemboweled yeah, I know. by the foil. Like It looked very, the kind of thing that, you know, serious the, injury. The exact worst way to wipe out on a foil. Um, yeah. You and I have a little bit more athleticism, I would say, than DJ Khaled. I don't know. Have you seen that guy play golf? <laughs> he's pretty legit. Is he really? <laughs> Yeah, if you follow him on Instagram, he's like huge into golf. That's his whole like passion. Wow. And when he hits when he hits a drive or whatever, he just lets out a massive scream. Like he's super loud on the golf course. It's pretty funny. Uh, so do you follow DJ Khaled on Instagram? Is this a big don't. reveal? Okay. No, no, I don't. I will though. I'm not against following DJ Khaled, but um my son follows him. <laughs> so he sends me all these links. I should follow him. I'm kind of a fan. Not of his music or of his DJ ability, but just of his Instagram. That's what I don't understand is um, how did he become famous as a DJ anyways? All that he does is scream or like he's a hype man basically on other people's music, right? Other people are doing all of the rapping or the singing or whatever. And he just sits there and he shouts, I don't know, his own name during a rap song like, hey, DJ Khaled in the background. And he became famous from that. I mean, it's pretty easy these days, I think. to I don't know. I've never even seen him 
quote unquote perform. I don't even know what he does. I've just seen him play golf on Instagram and wipe out on a foil. That's and he's so kind funny. of a character. He seems like a bigger than life. He seems like a cool guy, actually. Yeah, I don't know anything about him other than other basically people making fun of his lack of ability or Larry King. Did you see that Larry King interview with him? No, he's he's been around that long. I don't even I really yeah. he didn't even come under my radar until like a month ago. Oh, okay. Has yeah, he been Larry King. That long since Larry it, King. Yeah, I mean he's been around ten years, I'd say. But the the in, the famous clip that makes its rounds on Instagram every once in a while is DJ Khaled's giving some. They don't you don't hear the setup question, but you hear DJ Khaled answering like this long kind of really thoughtful explanation of what music means to him and why he makes the music that he makes. Blah blah blah. And as soon the second that he finishes, Larry King's follow up question is, "So how'd you gain all the weight?" <laughs> and, and DJ Khaled almost as instantly responds and goes, I eating a lot of food. I like to eat. <laughs> so it's a, it's a classic internet, uh, internet clip that makes the rounds. Anyways, whether he's good at not or not at golf, you and I have more athleticism. Golf doesn't require a ton of athleticism. Foiling does. And given our time on surfboards, I think that translates to riding a foil to a, to a greater degree than Khaled's golf to foil. I would agree with that. That's fair. But I will disagree that your statement that golf doesn't require athleticism. Wrong. I think it does require athleticism. You would, you would know better than I because I don't really golf. But um, anyways, real water sports, we've always talked about their retail prowess, which is true and is still there, but they've also got these amazing camps and retreats that they host and set up. And the Outer Banks is just such a great location for any of this. Um, it is kind of a vacation paradise for the West coast for the summer months. And they are on the South tip of the Outer Banks. So you kind of got to make your way down there. And then once you're there, it is a kind of wonderland of things to do in the water. So we're staying at the Waterman's Retreat right next door. It's on the beach. And of course, there's the Waterman's Bar and Grill um, where you and I are going to host or just have a little get together basically for fans to come by on that Wednesday, which I got to check the date on that. Wednesday, maybe the 17th or the 19th. Wednesday, the 19th of July from six to eight. If you want to swing by the Waterman's bar and grill, Scott and I'll be there with our lovely brides. Yeah. Please swing by, please swing by and say hello. I, I I know David and I are looking forward to, to meeting people, uh, friends of the show and, um, and yeah, let's hang out, you know, definitely. Let's talk about our NVS fins that we love while we're there with people. (laughs) No, we'll be talking about golf. I think the British Open is happening that weekend. Oh, oh is NBS. it really? Is so Scott, Scott's going to be Scott's going to be glued to the TV while we're at that meetup. Um, but no, NVS fins as well are available at Real Water Sports. But it's what Scott and I have been using for years now. And I have an NVS story for you, Scott. While you were in oh, okay. Indo, I was in Mexico, mm-hmm. and I was mm-hmm. riding a Roger Hines fish, like a classic five, like six, I think it is fish. And, um, the fins that were on it when I got down there were kind of modern keels. Yeah. And I swear to you, those things would not turn. Like they would stay in a straight line. I'd get to my feet, try to bank off the bottom and the thing would project me off into the shoulder. 
And then I'd get to the shoulder and try to do a turn and couldn't break the line. The board was just tracking and I was surfing with a buddy and I was like, I'm kooking it, but I don't want to blame the fins because really I should take responsibility for kooking it. But I swear to God, it's these fins that will not release, you know? And thankfully I had a set of NVS uh, C drives in my bag on the beach and I'd never ridden the C drives on like a classic fish. But I'm yeah. like, I, I, anything's got to be better than what I'm riding. And instantly, the first wave that I rode with those C drives was like full game changer. Not only did the board start to, you know, respond in the exact way I wanted it to respond, but those C drives are better than any other set of fins that I've ridden in that traditional board. And I thought I needed a traditional fin for that board, and I always had in the past, but the C drives were just far superior and instantaneous. You don't even have to be a good surfer. Like you would notice the difference instantly. Yeah. You know, it's a great story. And, um, the fun thing about fins and surfboards in general is that every combination is different for Mm -hmm. every single person and there's no right or wrong way. Now listeners know that David and I love the C drive, but I'm also a big fan of just traditional, um, uh, you know, I guess traditional keels, I guess you would say, um, in fishes, uh, yeah. which is what you're desc- describing. And, um, I know I have one of those Rob Machado fishes from Firewire and you know what? Yeah. Those are big keels. See that? Look See, that and NVS keel right there. And that is a lot of what... drive. You're going to get a lot of drive on waves. And I'm sorry to interrupt Dave, but on waves where you need to get down the line with some drive, um, a little more base throughout the tip of the, you know, more width throughout the tip of the fin can be helpful. Totally. And I had ridden traditional keels in the past in that board and it worked perfectly fine. But the ones that were in it right now that I had problem with were kind of a modern keel that has a bit more rake and like the base kind of detaches from the, uh, uh-huh. the base of the fin. It kind of curves up a little bit and there's that gap between the board and the base for the bit of the tail. So for whatever reason, they weren't working, but, but yeah, like you said, different strokes for different boards and different people is so true. And so I was like, the fins that were in the board are good fins just for a different board. You know, like they were made, they were well-made, they were made for something specific, but it wasn't this, this is the wrong combination for me. And so trust your instinct is what I say to listeners, you know, like don't just throw out the board. Yeah. And do yourself a favor and try different fins. And frankly, I'm as slothful as the next guy. Um, I don't think as surfers in general, if you did, if you took a pole on the beach, I don't think people swap out and try different fins enough. And it's, um, it's frankly, probably one of the most overlooked factors um, in your surfing experience. Yeah. Is, you know, putting different fins and boards and trying them. There's a, you'll be blown away the difference in the way your board feels. Totally. Good advice. Surfnvs.com is where you can grab your NVS fins or they're at retailers among the better surf retailers across the planet. In fact, from Israel to the Outer Banks to Southern California. So go to surfnvs.com. They'll have a list of retailers there if you want to grab them in person or they'll ship them to you, of course. So thank you, NVS. 
see some movement at the takeoff zone. It's Kelly Slater grabbing rail. A clean entry. This thing holding open. It spits. When it spit me, I thought it was going to spit me off my board. Comes out with the spit. Spits him out. Comes out after the spit. Gets spat out of another good-looking wave here. Spit, spit, spit. We're just spitballing, right? Yeah, I got Yeah, guy. Yeah, guy. Ha, 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 ha. Yeah, guy. What's up, bro? Uh, it is spit, David. It's spit. It's the spit podcast. We talk all things surf, and it is Wednesday, June 28th, 2023. It's basically the middle of the year, and uh, and it's the beginning of summer. And David, uh, it's good to see you. Welcome to uh, Spit. Welcome to our show. Yeah, good to see you too. We talk all things surf and DJ Khaled, by the way. It's not just strictly surf. And you know what else we talk? We talk surf travel. And so real quickly, let me just throw in a plug for Surfing Village. How about perfect uncrowded waves, incredible accommodations overlooking a perfect wave. No thanks. And in- and incredible food. Don't want it. For 11 days and 10 nights with pumping Indian Ocean swells on the horizon through the upcoming season. Uh, you'll get all that stuff at surfingvillage.com. And right now you can get a discount if you mention boardroom show or mention my name. You'll get a 5% discount, which equals about $175. Surfing-village.com. Uh, go check them out. Um. You still got photos you're posting from that trip? <laughs> I do. Good. I'm going overboard. Keep I need them to coming. stop. My I, vanity and my ego are just um, flaring. I need to check. And, uh, I, don't, I don't think Instagram think people fed are like them to over me. it. No, nobody's over it. You know what the, the reality is? Society yeah. has changed and there is no uh, shame in self-publishing stuff like that. That is just the way <laughs> of the world. And even those who used to frown upon it are now accepting of it. And I think the world is less, I, I don't know, I think it might have been COVID, in fact, that made things less judgmental and more friendly. It seems like it's that recent to me. Um, yeah. But I think the world is a better place in a lot of ways, you know? Well, I use it, my dear friend, Devin Howard. I use the, the Devin Howard model. And if, if I'm posting pictures of myself less than Devin is posting pictures of himself, I feel like I'm, I'm okay. <laughs> well, Devin's turned it into a business. Let's be real. Like Devin has become, a, I mean, well, I mean, he was a pro surfer prior to Instagram, but the self-publication is the modern way. And he has maintained his pro surf career through self-publication and, uh, we want more of it. You know what I mean? Like his yeah. surfing is so good. Like we want to see it. It's kind of an interesting space that Devin holds. Right. And there's a, quite a few guys that hold this space, but because you mentioned pro surfers, is Devin Howard a pro surfer or is he um, an ambassador or is he um, an influencer? He's yes. kind of all three. He is all three, you know, and you're right. Uh, Devin absolutely rips. And, um, I love to see his surfing because it's something I can relate to. You know, yeah. I, I can't necessarily relate to, you know, Levi Slauson busting some incredible airs, although it's fascinating. I like but, to see uh, it on too. On a personal yeah. level, I can get my, uh, I can get my Devin Howard mojo on, and uh, relate to it. So, Caton, uh, who he is an ambassador for, published a clip to maybe it was yesterday, 
Devin was in Australia last month. And uh, so it's a clip from there at a long right point break. And he's riding a CI mid, kind of a shorter version it looked like. And um, he's just flying down the line, pumping, pumping, high line, hold the high line, down to the bottom, pump, pump. And I'm watching the thing captivated, waiting for a turn probably. And when... (laughs) And when he doesn't actually do the turn, I realize Uh I don't need a turn. Like watching him flying down the line with tons of speed was just as interesting as watching him turn. And then he gets to a section that's kind of an open face and he does do a long cutback. And I was like, and then he immediately kicks out after that. And I thought the cutback was all right, but just seeing him maintain that level of speed was thrilling to watch, you know? Yeah. Look, not doing a turn is the new turn. (laughs) Let's just be honest. You know what I mean? Like roller coasters, you know, just like flying down the line between eight o'clock and nine o'clock. It's funny when I was, you know, when I was in India, we were looking at pictures of me surfing and I was like, oh, there's going to be a good one because I really went straight up on this one. You know, (laughs) picture comes out eight o'clock, maybe nine o'clock, not even close to vertical. Right. And, you know, to me, I'm like, that's as radical as I can ever get, you know, which is true, Uh, but not quite at the, you know, more on the roller coaster side of things. And it's, you know, with the time change, nine o'clock really is 12 o'clock. Good point. That is a great point. When you're in a different time zone, nine o'clock is 12 o'clock. Yeah. That is so funny. Um, I did just pull up your Instagram and it did not feed me these last couple of posts, but um, the beach break that you were talking about, you got photos of it. Oh my God, that that's the coolest thing about about being out there at Surfing Village is there's this beach break that it's, you know, like if there's no swell, you go to the beach break, it's three to four feet all the time and it's just spinning and yeah. it's just crystal blue persuasion. Just, you know, it's super trippy, first of all, that there's even a bit that sand somehow collects out there. I was, I was kind of wondering, I'm like, what is there like a is this like river silt? Like, how does the sand even get here? You know? And, um, anyway, I'm not sure exactly how it does that. Cause I'm not an expert, but it's pretty unreal. I've never thought about going out to the Mentawise or the Telos or the Banyaks or anywhere, any Island and seeing a beach break like that. It's yeah. kind of trippy. Well, that, that beach break specifically, those images are so sick. That's exactly what I want in surfing. That's as fun as it gets. So you're telling me that you didn't see my latest post. This is upsetting my ego. I just saw it right now. The one where I'm, it says about to happen. Yeah, where you're setting up for the tube. Yeah. Yep, I saw it. Don't worry. Oh my. <laughs> Thank you. Um, anyways. You didn't like it. What's the problem here? Bro? Oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. I like it right now. <laughs> God, this is horrible. I'm like, I there's a little bit of vomit in my mouth. This is exactly what we started out talking, and this is the way of the world. Um, but what I meant to say, what I meant to, to complete that thought is, it was during COVID, things become, became so much less judgmental. Like all of these things that you used to feel uh, embarrassed about, feeling vain about, you know, there was a little bit of shame attached to certain things. Now everybody's fully embracing and it's not okay to make fun of. Like if you do point and laugh, everybody's like, what an asshole. You should never laugh at somebody. They're just living their best life. Leave them alone, you know? And I'm like, man, I'm cut from a way different. It's okay. I think shame is actually 
good. I think shame serves a purpose, you know, all these things. But it's also nice that those people are so kind to one another and they're embracing. Yeah, I mean, shoot, COVID was a weird time. And that's, I guess, one of the things that um, manifests itself was, um, you know, a shift in uh, the way that we view things and view people and um, and the way that we respond to that. So yeah. interesting stuff. Yeah, it is. Uh, anyways. You know, it's one of the craziest COVID things. What? Not craziest, but. We were, when I was on this trip, I was, there was these Australian guys, there was these other people at the camp with us and, uh, we were talking about COVID and some of the stupid stuff. And I told them, I go, Hey, I actually, they, they shut down the beaches in San Diego and California. You couldn't go surfing. You couldn't even be on the beach. So, and I told them about my little covert mission. Do you remember that David? Where like I, I put on a full suit and then I put on like a jogging suit over the full suit and I had my board stashed in the bushes and I pretended like I was jogging. Then I jumped down into a ravine and the whole, when you say it out loud, it's kind of silly. Now looking back on it two years later, you're like, really, you did that? And the waves are complete crap. And then you got caught <laughs> and you're 50 something years old. It's horrible. Yeah. Did they appreciate the story? Yeah. They, they all had sort of their own. Yeah. I guess Australia was pumping during portions of COVID. Like it was all time and nobody was working. Everyone was off. And, and also if you were in certain like townships and you live there, you could go to the beach and recreate. But if you were just, you know, a, a little bit inland, you weren't allowed to go into say like Corumban unless you were living in Corumban, you know, and they yeah. had like, you know, I guess it was cordoned off with police or whatever. So it was uncrowded and it was pumping in Australia during COVID. Yeah. Certain parts of it, at least on the Gold Coast. Yeah. It was crazy times, man. Um, yeah. Well, as it relates to our show notes, um, Surfing Heritage and Culture Center on July 8th, so about a week and a half away, are they're hosting a special evening celebrating the life and art of Rick Griffin. So if anybody is in town for this, they should absolutely come hang out. It's um, They're hosting basically a panel discussion with Griffin's wife, Ida, his daughter, other notable Griffin biographers like Steve Bariolotti. Um, uh, John Van Barlotti. Ham Sorry, Barlow. Barlow. Barlo. Just call him Barlow. Barlow. Barlo. What's up, bro? Uh, John Van Hammersveld, Jim Evans, Gary Wong. The event is an afternoon event, be. actually. It's from 2 p.m. till 5 p.m. at Surfing Heritage and Culture Center. 20 bucks for members, 25 for non members. But this is part of a greater exhibit that they're doing, um, featuring Rick Griffin's work. And the people at Shack actually had the foresight to go to Rick Griffin's home when he passed away and cut out the actual drywall of murals that he had painted. And they have those murals on display. So they have tons of the ephemera and magazine related artwork and all that kind of stuff. But they also have murals from his actual home. Yeah. So his home in Palos Verdes, I believe it was maybe overlooking Haggerty's. But there's a couple of homes, actually. They they first, somebody got, I was on, so a little backstory, I was on the board at Shack for about eight years, and I was there when this all went down. And as I recall, and I could be wrong, and somebody can, you know, I've been wrong in the past, but somebody uncovered this mural uh, at this home and said, hey, this is, this isn't just some kid doodling on his wall, like this is this is Rick Griffin type stuff. And so they reached out to Shaq 
And then people at Shack were like, yep. Um, and of course it was on this massive plastered drywall. The only way to get this piece of art is to cut all of the two by four beams to cut the found, you know, the, the makeup of the, the, the wall itself, the framing and everything, because it was an older home. It wasn't just like drywall. It was like some older stuff. And it, it was, if you touched it wrong, it would chip off and people would freak out. Oh my God, we're losing the painting. You know, it was like crazy. So they, they have these massive, basically home walls yeah. on display that have the Rick Griffin art that was uncovered. And, and I believe that they recently, they found the first one and then in another home, they found another one. So can you imagine like Rick Griffin and his buddy, you know, pulling bong loads at age 15 or whatever, and just like doodling away and just some crazy, you know, seascape, surfscape of Haggerty's or PV point or, you know, PV. I don't, it, it's pretty incredible stuff, you know, and you should absolutely go check this out and listen to this panel. It sounds fascinating. Well, this is why we love Shaq. I mean, to even have the resources to be able to pull something like this off is because they've designed a museum that specifically focuses on these opportunities, you know? And so support Shaq in any way that you can, because they're doing this type of work that wouldn't be done. Otherwise this stuff would be lost to history. Yeah. And you know, Rick Griffin, he, you know, he transcends surf. He's not just surf, you know, we're talking, well, give um, us, give us the rock rundown. and roll. Yeah. Know? Give us the rundown Pardon? or the bio on Rick Griffin. Well, I'm not really, I'd hate to butcher it here. You know, I'm not like the super expert on it. We could Wikipedia, but I know he did a bunch of grateful dead stuff. And so if you're a dead guy, um, you know, he did, he did rock and roll posters. Yeah. I'm trying to pull it up real quick. On the Had I known, I would have pulled up some Wikipedia on Rick Griffin, but you know, um, I just know that he's more than surf and his life was certainly fascinating and somewhat, I think, sad. I, in my work, uh, doing the auction, doing the California gold surf auction, I often visit people's homes. People call me up and I'm like, Hey, I got some old boards. Why don't you come up and check them out? I'm like, okay. So I drove to this guy's home way up in East Los Angeles and he's got some beautiful surfboards and he just happened to be on vacation in Hawaii in recently, you know, like 2003 or whatever. And he was walking by a place, I think it was in Kauai and there's, uh, you know how surf shops will put a little board out in front with the surf conditions, you know, what the waves are like, what the wind is like, blah, yeah. blah, blah. Well, this guy had a whiteboard and in color on the whiteboard was this incredible surf report and it was doodled up and it was Rick Griffin. And it happened, this was like, you know, obviously before Rick died, I don't know the exact date that he died, but it, it happened, you know, sometime I think in the 80s yeah, or something. Yeah, died in 91. And the guy realized, he, he's like, oh my God, Rick Griffin's doing a surf report on our little board thing. And the guy saved it. So my buddy bought it from him. So my buddy has this really cool whiteboard surf report that Rick Griffin just walked by and go, Hey, do you want me to do some doodling and do this? You know, and I think they must've known that it was Rick Griffin. And he did this whole like little cool little art seascape thing, a full on Rick Griffin original on a surf report whiteboard out front of a surf shop. Again, my buddy now has that thing. And I'm like, Hey man, you need to put a friggin' clear coat on that because yeah. it's just a wipe off you know it's just a whiteboard you can just wipe it off by looking at accidentally it. walk by yeah yikes so real quick rick griffin from the eos uh, encyclopedia of surfing eos.surf richly talented artist and cartoonist originally from palos verdes best known to surfers as the creator of murphy the cheerful cartoon gremmy who debuted in surfer magazine in 1961 
also celebrated as one of San Francisco's psychedelia movement Big Five artists. That's right. That's probably the best way to uh, reference him for people who don't know surfing. But anyways, he was born in 1944, began surfing at age 12, learned to draw by copying Mad Magazine cartoons. As a high school freshman, he charged 50 cents to sketch big wave riding surf characters onto t-shirts. And at 16, he illustrated a price list for Greg Knoll surfboards in exchange for a new surfboard. In the late 19 or in late 1960, he met John Severson, who had just published the first issue of Surfer Mag and agreed to produce a cartoon strip, The Grammys, which was published in the second issue of Surfer, Murphy and the Surfing Contest. The first in the Murphy series appeared in the following issue. With his beaming smile and mop of sun-bleached hair, Murphy was quickly accepted as a favorite surf world mascot. He made the cover of Surfer in 1962, and he was featured in each issue of the magazine until late 64. In 1963, a car accident actually left Griffin with a damaged left eye and ragged scars on the side of his face. It also affected him psychologically. Murphy vanished for five years, then turned up occasionally between 69 and 87, first as a kind of uh, guide to hallucinatory fantasy world, and then as a chippy born-again Christian, and finally as a somewhat muted surfing philosopher. Um, He moved to San Francisco... He, uh, blah, 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 kind of got involved with Magic Mushrooms, did a Grateful Dead poster. Um, he did posters for Judas Priest and Iron Maiden. Okay. As well. He did I mean, album kind of- cover artwork for the Grateful Dead, the Eagles, Jackson Brown. Um, his cartoons were published in Zap Comics, Five Summer Stories, of course, uh, Blazing Boards. Pacific Vibrations. Griffin died of motorcycle accident in 1991 at the age of 47. His wake was attended by Jerry Garcia and other members of the late 1960s San Francisco art and music scene, as well as a number of his older surfer magazine associates. He was married and had five children. That's cool. Well, I mean, I'm sure there's going to be some great stories out from this panel. Yeah. Um, and I know Barlow personally, he's a friend of mine and he's a great storyteller and, um, hopefully that's going to be cool, man. I hope I can make it up to that July 8th. Yeah. Uh, by the way, Barlow, I recorded a podcast with him. I'm going to say seven years ago that yeah. n- never got published. <laughs> <laughs> May I ask why please? He got, he got reticent you know, after the fact, and there was no reason for him to be reticent at all. Like I took the day, went down to Encinitas, spent the day together, recorded for two hours. I was thrilled with it. He was working on a documentary at the time. And so we discussed that. And then it was a Griffin documentary. That's right. It was, you're right. I forgot about that. So yeah, I forgot what it was because it's been so long. And, uh, you know, a few days afterwards, he calls me or something. And he's like, you know, maybe we should wait until the documentary comes out and re-record the conversation then and then publish it. I'm like, no, 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 no. I know how production works. That thing may never see the light of day. And we got gold in the can right now. Let's just publish this thing next week. We'll get people excited for the doc to come. 
He's like, ah, let's just wait a little bit. Maybe I want to edit some stuff out of the conversation. And I was like, oh no. And ultimately the thing never saw the light of day. Yeah. I wonder where that documentary stands. Um, and anyway, the podcast conversation never saw the light of day either. And I should, oh, right. I should yeah. pull that out of the, out of the archives and, uh, give it a listen and see if it's even worth publishing at this point. But that's the he, worst, but he's the, I mean, he is worth publishing. Like he could go on for days and days and days and he's got tons. of Oh stories. yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. In fact, I should probably reach out to Barlow and do a pod with him or you should maybe, although you're probably fed up with him. I'm not, I'll just, cause I know Barlow well enough. I'll just be like, dude, I don't care what you yes. say. I'm publishing this thing right now. Exactly. That's <laughs> what you got to do. You'd be the right guy. Uh, to he's going to have some good stories at that thing, though. I'll tell you what. He was a fun guy. I worked with him at Surfer Magazine. And uh, he was always somebody that I enjoyed seeing come through the doors. And, um, you know, he and I were on the same wavelength for sure. He's the best. Yeah. He's the best. Um, another person who's notable of the past, who needs some prayers and help and uh, is among the best is... Clyde Icow, Hawaii surf royalty. Clyde Icow is in a Las Vegas hospital after undergoing emergency heart open heart surgery for an aortic aneurysm. So I guess he was walking outside of a restaurant, like he had just left a restaurant and he basically collapsed on the sidewalk. So yeah. after being admitted to hospitals, docs found an aneurysm in his aortic valve, which required surgery, uh, emergency open heart surgery. Clyde asked everyone to keep him in their prayers as he tackles what he describes as, quote, the biggest wave of his life. He's obviously the 1986 Eddie Aikau winner, an event named after his older brother, a lifeguard, uh, his older brother, Eddie, who was a lifeguard who passed away trying to save his crewmates on the ill-fated Polynesian voyaging kayak the Hokale or canoe, the Hokalea report, and he collapsed after he left a restaurant. There's been a GoFundMe that's set up to help... Um, with his medical bill, which is estimated at about $200,000. When I looked at it yesterday, I think they had about 40,000 bucks. Yeah. It's 30, $34,000 right now of the $200,000 goal. So that's a steep wow. one. And there's contributions by the way, coming in from everybody like icons in the surf industry, Kelly Slater among them, uh, Bob Hurley, Danny Kwok, all sorts of notables. So if you have any um, ability at all to co financially contribute, we'll post the link to that with today's show. But then also thoughts and prayers, of course, are what Clyde is asking for. So, Yeah, but send some money, you know. Um, look, I reached in and, and sent a little bit of money. It's, it's uh, you know, I mean, how much money do I spend on surfboards every year you know you're telling me i can't afford to give some money to somebody to pay it forward a little bit and the answer is of course i can well and i do and if you guys out there can afford it um you know consider it that's all we're saying just consider up in clyde Icow. um well specifically guy. yeah specifically in uh not to get too into it but the healthcare system in the United States is definitely um, problematic and even broken, I would say. And unless you work a corporate job, you don't have uh, healthcare necessarily, or you have to pay for it. And it's literally at that age, Clyde's age, it's going to be $1,500 to $2,000 a month to maintenance. 
you know, and then you still are going to have out of pocket costs on top of that when you actually need care. And so it's just unbelievably expensive. And so many people who didn't commit their life to a corporate job like Clyde Icow, and thank goodness he didn't, he's a gift to the surf world because he didn't, you know, people like that just kind of um, fall through the cracks of the system. And then they find themselves in situations like this where they actually do need help. And the costs are insurmountable, you know, like nobody could afford to cover a bill like that. So everybody, there's yeah, enough look, people I, in the surf world that can contribute 20, 30, 40 bucks at a time to where you can really help somebody out like this in a situation that yeah. they need it. Yeah. Help, help Clyde out. And you're right. I saw something somewhere, but basically each and every one of us, like nine out of 10 of us are just one health mishap away from bankruptcy. Crazy. It's that simple. Crazy. It's that simple. And that's how screwed up our, our system is, Yeah, you know? And, uh, I, I don't know. I, you know, I'm no expert, obviously. In fact, that should be the name of our show. I'm no expert, obviously. Seriously. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's, a it's obviously a, a deep and nuanced, uh, thing, a discussion to talk about a healthcare system here, but, um, but not for this show, something's wrong. If we're all on the verge of a bankruptcy, I mean, I won't, like if something goes wrong, you know, like my wife or whoever will be like, oh, let's go to the emergency room. I'm like, no, let's not go to the right. emergency room. I don't need a $10,000 bill. Well, Let me just wait. I'll go to urgent care tomorrow morning. Yeah. You know? And what the other flip side of that, the reason why I say it's corrupt and broke, not corrupt, but broken is I know uh, I've had throughout my life friends who are top level students who would have pursued a doctorate, a medical degree in previous decades who opt out of it because all of the doctors that they know who have been doing it for 30 or 40 years say it's not worth doing anymore because among that $200,000 bill, very little of it ends up in the doctor's actual pocket. So much of it goes to insurances and all sorts of other expenses and every new machine costs, you know, that's $800,000 or a couple million bucks that they have to buy for the office. The actual economics of the model, the doctors are making less money than ever to make it not even worth their medical degree. And the consumers paying more than they've ever paid before. And it's all probably going to, you know, insurance. insurance, companies. Yeah. insurance companies. yeah. And payouts for malpractice suits. So yeah. the whole thing That's is problematic. And the quality of care is very, is equally as good elsewhere where, the individuals are paying far, far less. And so there is a way to do it, to get quality of care and um, still be a profitable business, you know, without paying a bunch of middlemen along the way. Yeah. Well, look, um, we'll post the GoFundMe page for Clyde Icow and um, consider offering some dollars if you can. And I know there's, uh, I'll say one more thing. Times are tough for some of us, but one more thing too. Um, Stab Magazine wrote an article about this and in it, they have a video interview with Clyde and it looks yeah. like they did a, they did a documentary um, two months ago about Luke Shepardson winning the YMA event. And yeah. there was some little interview snippets in there of Clyde. It looks like this new video is a bunch of the stuff that didn't make the cut for the Luke Shepardson documentary. They recut into in a, a full like nine minute interview with Clyde to promote this GoFundMe, and it's excellent and very worth watching the whole nine minutes of it. And is that on the GoFundMe link? It's on. I don't think they did put it on the GoFundMe's page. They put it on the Stab Magazine page that was the article about oh. the GoFundMe. So you'd oh, have to cool. go to Stab Magazine to see it. 
Oh, good. But it's really, really well done. Great, great interview with Clyde. Um, The other thing I'll ask you about is just, or just point to an ongoing conversation is taking care of your health later in life. And I know that heart issues are often genetic, so I'm not claiming that Clyde wasn't taking care of his health or anything like that. But you and I, this is just a reminder that to do everything you can early in life to mitigate against things like this later in life, because, um, often it's too late once you decide to make adjustments, you know? Yeah. Look, um, diet I think is, is so overlooked and so important. So do yourself a favor, eat organic vegetables and fruits and maybe trim step away from the bacon and, you know, Hey, I've actually, I've actually left a restaurant and passed out before. <laughs> Shut up. Oh yeah. From lethargy? I got, I got a pacemaker. No. Wait, what? Yeah. Look at that thing. In fact, I'm getting a new one in a couple of days. Wait, well, tell me the story. <laughs> what happened? I was actually at, I was with my wife. We were on a date. It was 2005. I was, I had been working at the action sports retailer show in downtown San Diego for surfer magazine. I was actually doing podcasts. I was doing, I was doing down the line or in the lineup. I was doing surfer magazine radio. Right. And, um, my wife and I went to our hotel room and I think we had just finished eating and I was in the lobby. I was actually in my hotel room, passed out. My wife was freaking out. She's like, we got to go to a doctor. So you left, I kinda w- you left dinner and yeah. were you feeling a certain way when you left dinner? Yeah. I had, um, I had an upset stomach. Okay. Like maybe I'd eaten too much rich food or something. What did like you that. eat that night? I don't recall exactly what I ate. Okay. And I don't think it's important because what the doctors determined was that sometimes when your heart starts to go weird, you get the feeling of nausea and you get like an upset stomach type of vibe. And um, so I was feeling that way and I passed out in our room. And my wife's like, you need to get to, we need to get you to a doctor. Let's go. And we walked we took the elevator down and then in the lobby at this, you know, the Marriott downtown San Diego with all of these ASR revelers and like partying going on. It was like a Friday night or whatever. I passed out again Oh my gosh! in front, like, you know, where the rotating door is as you're leaving the hotel and like um, hit the ground from standing position. Yeah. But like, I knew it was happening. So I kind of like slowly got down to my knees and fell down and I went blank and, um, and there's all these people like hovering around me and stuff. And they just think I'm some like ASR drunk, yeah. you know, that's had too much on a Friday, yeah. on a Friday night. They're like taking selfies and stuff. <laughs> and my, my wife, and so they called 911 and um, I got picked up by a ambulance and taken to the hospital and they put a pacemaker in me. Which is for but everyone should have a pacemaker. It's a backup generator. I mean, would you go to Baja without a backup generator? No. And you can go to Costco. When you get your tires rotated, they'll just throw a Costco pacemaker in you while you're waiting to get your tires rotated. So what was the diagnosis? Diagnosis is I have a low resting heart rate. Okay. I'm I'm in really pretty good shape, you know, from surfing all my life. And um and this happens not a lot, but they see it in long distance runners, people that run marathons, people that are daily runners. You get a, you can get a low resting heart rate, okay. which is what I have. And, um, now my heart won't go below a certain number of beats per minute because wow. I have a 
a pacer. Wow. So, so what would have happened had they not gotten you to the hospital that night? I don't know. It's weird. When I was in the hospital, it happened again and I was on a heart monitor and I flatlined for like 13 seconds. There was no heartbeat. So I woke up in the hospital to two doctors like right on top of me just, and they're, you know, they're like working me in there. And I was like, Oh my God, what the hell's going on? And they're like, Scott, Scott, you know, like, it was, it was pretty heavy. And, uh, but here I am. Wow, man. I, I had no idea, but that's a, oh, yeah. that was a good lesson to learn at a relatively early and, um, you know, well, a, I think Clyde's situation is different. I, I don't yeah. know. Like, you know, Clyde's older than me and I'm, well, you know, I don't, I don't really know. It sounds like he has a much more serious situation. Yeah, it does. But I'll tell you one thing I have become in the last couple of months, much more cognizant of my own diet because I had great genetics. I'll be perfectly frank. Uh, through yes. no. Well, look at you. I mean, look at your hair. I mean, it's you can't deny the genetic per- perfection that is David look, Lee Scales. It sounds like I mean, I'm you have bragging. three names. That says that's in the DNA, and it's. It sounds like I'm bragging. I'm not bragging because if I did it all on my own work, then that would be bragging. What I'm saying is, I've been gifted with. I didn't actually have to work for so long because of my parents and my ancestors, I got away scot-free without having to do a lot of work. But I've realized that, man, that is a gift that I can't squander. And in recent years, I'm like, I've the last decade, I have been way too gluttonous. Just got footloose and fancy free, you know what I mean? And it's like, yeah. and I'm not, and I'm suffering the effects of it. I'm not as yeah. sharp as I once was, quick to my, and certainly in surfing, but even in other ways too. And so in yeah. recent months, I've taken my diet way more seriously and um, am very kind of tracking everything that I put in my body. But yeah. ultimately, through research and through reading various things, there's a lot of kind of conflicting information. There's a lot of overlapping information. And I can distill my advice or maybe not advice, but what I my mantra, my philosophy for what I put into my body, I could distill it down very simply. And it comes from Michael Pollan, who's an author, and he's written a number of books about various things for your body. But one of them was about, it's called the carnivore, the carnivore's dilemma about diet. And basically what it comes down to is eat food, not much, mostly plants. Yes. Simple as that. that. Simple as that. I love that. And so what that means for us, and certainly in California is we just eat too much food. The second line of that, eat food, not much. We just eat too much. And I was like, I always, I I was experiencing a certain amount of lethargy every day. And what it was in hindsight was I was putting too much fuel in the system and my system was working hard to process all of that food. And so It was good food. I wasn't eating fast food or anything like that. I was eating, you know, really actually clean food. It was just too much of it. So I've reduced my my intake by, I would say, half. Portion sizes are half of what they used to be. And yeah. I am just running way, way, way more efficiently. And so then the last part of that is mostly plants. Eat food, not much, mostly plants. And I just, uh, also that comes down to lethargy too. Like if I eat red meat, it's harder for my body to process. You do need a certain amount of protein, of course, for building, building blocks and muscles and stuff like that. But 
you can get protein out of a lot of other things and red meat's fine for you. It's just, I was going way too overboard with it, you know? And so that new, again, lots of information, but distilling it all down that one mantra, I kind of say daily or whenever I'm, uh, trying to decide what to eat for a given meal. If I'm at a restaurant or something like that, I start to see, I see, Ooh, short ribs. I get wide eyed and I'm like, that sounds delicious, <laughs> but let's run the mantra through my head. And how will I feel after I eat those short ribs, you know? And no, so pick something else. So that's my well, that's advice. Super good advice. I love that you've boiled it down or Michael did like that. That's perfect. And frankly, I've, as you know, I've been, I've been on a big health kick myself. And what I've noticed is that at first I was like, Oh God, I'm gonna have to eat a bunch of good you know, food. That's good for you. And it sounded like a dilemma, you know, like no sourdough bread, right. you know, no ice cream, blah, blah, blah. But what I found is that now that all I'm, now that I'm eating a lot of fruits and vegetables that they taste way better totally. and I really enjoy them. I'm drawn towards them. And when I have red meat, I'm like, sometimes I look at it and I'm like, Oh, it's kind of bloody and I'm not yeah. really into it. And, and by the way, the portions of red meat are way too huge. Yeah. Like I had a um, filet the other day and it was four ounces and it was plenty. Like I almost didn't even need four ounces. I just need a few bites. Totally. You know, and you get these like massive steaks. It's just over the top. So I'm a big fan of farmer's market, uh, fruits and vegetables, greens. Yeah. I'm a kale bragger. Frankly, I will brag about how much kale I take, you're, take in. You're right though. Uh, flavor wise, fruits and vegetables are far more flavorful than animal proteins are. And you have to then season all the animal protein to get it to a certain level. So yeah, fat in animal protein has flavor, but again, in small doses, you know, you just need a little bit of that. So, uh, we're, sounds like we're on the same page as often throughout the 10 years that we've been doing this podcast, you and I land on a similar conclusion at the same time (laughs) from separate means, you know, it's fine. What's your favorite vegetable? Um, I don't have a favorite vegetable. I eat, I like eggplant. Um, I like leafy greens. I like you know what I like. What? Orange bell peppers. Yeah. Love the orange. I ones. love orange bell peppers. I love all peppers, by the way. Peppers are so good. Yeah. Acid oils. I love them. I think oh. we're boring the living shit out of our list. Hey, this right is now. advice. This is important. Didn't you read that Derek? Riley article last week about how the average age of a surfer now is between 45 and 49. It's no longer a youth sport. I knew that that's, that's been old hat for a long time. I mean, look at, look in the lineup. I know it's true. And there's less and less kids learning how to surf. I think. Yeah. Somebody, somebody did email me and said, you know what? In Hawaii, there's still tons of kids in the water. And I'm like, yeah, that, that probably is true. But elsewhere it's, I mean, in Southern California, it's not true. I mean, you see some kids learning how to surf, but the vast majority of people in the lineup are full adults. Yeah. That's, that's just the nature of our demographic right now. And it kind of speaks to the demographic of the, of the United States in general. Maybe so. Uh, we're getting older. We're older than we've ever been, which was a story somewhere, I think, on NPR last week. Well, you know, somebody else emailed me about it saying in a reason might be that coastal living has gotten so expensive. So it used exactly. to it used to be people in their early twenties could buy somewhere near the coast and they raise kids on the beach and those kids learn how to surf and all that sort of stuff. But now it's like you can't afford it's I mean, it's not even a million dollar home if you're near the coast. It's now well over a million dollars. And so unless yeah. you have, you know a huge down payment and seven thousand bucks a month for a mortgage. Right. 
then not to mention property taxes. Yeah. Which holy crap. You're not gonna raise a kid on the beach anymore. And so that's no. but segue into a topic for today's show. There are wave yes. pools. <laughs> there oh are wave God. pools. So we will see a lot of inlanders learning how to surf because there are now I don't even know how many wave pools under production, but I've got kind of a list of ones that are currently in development that are going to be up and running within the next year. And it's amazing. There's a ton. Yeah. Well, let's hear your list. Look, I'm a big fan of wave pools and I think property in Waco is probably pretty cheap. You could probably buy a home and raise a family there. Exactly. Cowboy servers. Drift line. Are you kidding me, David? I love my drift line board shorts. Frankly, look, let's be honest. Nobody gives a crap what little logo is on your board shorts. What's important is function, right? Less fashion, more function. And Driftline, I wore them in my trip to Mexico, my trip to Indonesia, my Drifties. And what makes them so unique, David? Tell the listening audience. Patented wetsuit lined board shorts. So uh, it is a half a millimeter of neoprene. Underneath the board short, it's sewn into the board short. It's all one unit basically, but it is um, got three, I'd say, functions to it. Obviously, warmth comes with that neoprene. Padding comes with the neoprene and compression. So it keeps everything snug and tight, which strangely in that area feels better than going going free. <laughs> Why is that strange? That's not strange. That's completely normal. Well, you Look, would think naked. You would think protecting your unit. Yeah, I, I, you're right. It does protect. I'm just saying you would think freedom would be the best, right? The way oh, Mother Nature made you no. being free balling would be the most comfortable. Turns out compression's more comfortable. Right. Free balling means chafing, chafing, right, and problems. Right. You know what I'm saying? This is protection. Well, um, the other thing we've never mentioned on in these discussions about Driftline is that they were on Shark Tank. I know, right? Crazy. How cool is that? I've never yeah. I've never watched that show in all the years it's been on, but I'm fully aware of its power and its influence. And so to find out that Driftline was on it, um, and I think that they got they got approved or I think won they flipped or flipped them off. I think uh, they okay. offered them something and they they just went, no. You're out. But, My business is better than that. But they did get an I'm offer. Because I think those Shark Tank deals, you get screwed. Right, 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 right. Well, so not only does know. this show the viability of the product because they got the offer, it shows the savviness of Wes and his partner because they're like, exactly. they're like, dude, we're probably just on here to get the publicity and to leverage this opportunity to really do what this business is probably uh, capable of doing. And so we're thrilled to be partnered with them. And we just are thrilled to use the product. So um, you talked about, you know, it's not about fashion, it's about function. But to be honest, there's no sacrifice in the fashion as well. These are every bit as technical of a board short as any of the other premium board shorts on the market. Four-way stretch material, quick dry, uh, all that kind of stuff. They look great. The colorways are great. So there's really no sacrifice. It's just a superior product because you get that bonus of the patented suit. No, you're absolutely right. It's incredible fashion with even better tech and function. There you go. You know, so it's the best of both worlds. Look, it's just a killer board short, but underneath it, you get plus, plus, plus upside. Yeah. So driftline.co, not .com, driftline.co. Get yourself a pair of drifties. Use our promo code, which is the word spit, and you will save 15%. And by the way, you'll be able to meet uh, Weston's partner at the boardroom show in October. Perfect. I'll be there. 
When you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role, and there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn Jobs. Your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references, and now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInjobs.com surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. That's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. So yeah. Abu Dhabi was the big story when you were gone in Indo. Um, they're building yeah. a KS, KS Wave Co. It's the largest. That one's going to be huge. Huge. 12,600 acres. Um, Obviously, the KS Wave Co. is owned by the WSL. And so they're licensing the tech. Somebody in that article said that there might be a WSL finals day held there in coming years, if you can imagine that. I don't doubt it. And I know that the Olympics are going to eventually all be held in wave pools. There's no doubt. Which is, by the way, I mean, it probably goes without us even needing to state such a terrible decision for the WSL and the Olympics. (laughs) I agree, but I kind of don't care. Like, as just a guy who wants to go surfing down at the local beachy, it doesn't really affect me. You know, like, like it's hard for me to get overly bummed out about anything that has to do with surfing in the Olympics or surfing on the WSL because it's so far removed from who I am. Uh, Granted, I'm a fan. I'll watch, but... It doesn't really affect me. Like, I, I can't see how people are too upset about it. Well, I, uh, I'm glad that you've landed there, and I think that's the direction I'm landing as well. But I was upset for a couple of years yeah. surveying all yeah. of it because I was not only the hugest fan of competitive professional surfing, but I felt like it was my thing, you know? And so I felt like they were wrenching away my thing that I was a fan of. But you're right. At this point, if we don't fully acknowledge that it is totally disconnected from what we thought it should be and was, then we're the idiots. You know, like how much longer can we complain about the WSL? I mean, this event in Brazil, we haven't even talked about it yet, but it's just an absolute junk show, you know? And and it's like, and by the way, last week I said Kelly Slater posted about being sick and he wasn't going to go to Brazil. Just would like to acknowledge that was correct. And two days later, he withdrew from the Brazil event. No surprise there. But, you know, we don't even need to discuss the Brazil event because us. It's flat. <laughs> well, not only is it flat, but it's like they they don't even set themselves up for success. There is a 1% chance that that event is an exciting event because they set themselves up for 
just running a, a circus is kind of what it is. And so of course it ends up being a circus and why would we be surprised? We're not surprised, but we well, can't, we don't uh, even have the energy to talk about it anymore is my point. We shouldn't, you know, at the risk of being a WSL apologist, which apparently I am on this show, I've been told, as I recall, the Brazil event last year was pretty good. Like we enjoyed for, it for Brazil. Kyle Belly got that one ten, but compare that ten to Matt McGillivray's ten at Chopu. No, I look. I'm not. You know. You know, like it's not even comparable. Yeah, it's exciting in the context of what it is, but it's, it's still just a simply joke. not the dream tour. I think the our thing is everyone. We've been so uh, we've all bought into the dream tour. Like we want. Well, we just twelve of the best surfers in eight foot perfect waves, and we're just not going to get that. Well, not from the it's WSL, not, not from the WSL. And when they're making no. investments like this in Abu Dhabi, then you really realize, oh my gosh, definitely. And then when they state, yeah, we're going to hold the finals day there, then you go, holy cow! If I'm not if I'm not listening to what they're telling me, then I'm the idiot. So, anyways, um, that's what's to come. Abu Dhabi. I had a thought about Abu Dhabi too, or maybe somebody else told me this. There's so much money there, right? And opulence. How long yeah. until somebody builds a KS Wave Coat on their own property for private use? Oh, it's already happened, I bet. I bet that's, that's a foregone conclusion in Saudi Arabia. No problem. Or the United that's, Arab Emirates, you know? Yeah. That's a, is that where Abu Dhabi is? Yeah. I don't even know. Yeah. I have no desire to go there. I think it's a cool name. Abu Dhabi. They've got uh, name your dog that they've got all sorts all those little countries or republics. I don't know what they are. They have uh, cool names. Anyways, there's two two pools opening in Brazil. Interestingly, Pharrell Williams, music producer, yeah. is uh, involved in Virginia Beach's development, which is a wave garden technology. There's one opening in Munich, Germany. There's one opening in Urban Surf is opening in Sydney. There's one opening in. Um, Arizona, Rick Kane country called Cannon Beach, uh, the Palm Springs Surf Club, which I surfed before they demoed and rebuilt, is opening at the end of this year. They're kind of running behind schedule a few months. I think they were supposed to be open in May, but looks like they're going to be open by the end of this year. And then um, Surf Crest Clubs and Long Island, New York is also opening. So tons and tons of this stuff that we've been talking about for years, the technology is now underway under the construction yeah. is already done and this or done in some cases and this stuff is going to be online in the next year yeah it's uh that that space is a fascinating space it has been for a long time it's been fun to watch it grow it's certainly robust um surf parks surf pools wave parks they're they're fun they're super fun it's fun to go to they're exciting there's lots of little waves that roll through it's it's not the ocean it's not it's not going to be six put and perfect. It just isn't. Well, I, you know, they, they used to call us at Surfer Magazine. I would, I would just go look. Call me when it's six feet and perfect. And the closest thing to that is Kelly's pool, as far as size. Um, but it's generally three to four feet and super rippable. You know. And I'll be honest, I don't even think six feet and perfect is going to be a huge unlock because the technology will produce that at some point. It's only a matter of time. But what we love and the draw of the ocean is the unknown. And what, yeah. we, what we love is 
being out there on a day that is four to five feet and then finding the six foot imperfect one and being in the prime position and knowing that it's a finite resource and being able to mine the resource is nine tenths of really what we're chasing. And if you can then surf up to your full potential when the ocean offers the best version of what it has that day, that is what we're going. That's the magic moment. And so if you just put that on tap, it's like putting an ice cream dispenser or a beer keg in your garage. You know what I mean? It's like, it doesn't, it ceases to become a reward at the end of the day, that beer or that ice cream, once you have the thing in your garage. And instead what you do is you tilt your head back and put it under the keg and start (laughs) drinking endlessly until you are incoherent and 30 pounds overweight and realize I've yeah, made it. I've you made end a up bad eating kale. You know, you end up eating kale eventually. <laughs> You're like, I have made some wrong choices in my life and I need to reevaluate everything. This wave pool was fun to dabble in. It's fun to go spend an afternoon in, but holy yeah. cow, I do not need this in my garage. Right. No, there's no doubt. It's a, it's a, Totally different deal. It just is. Yeah. And you're right. Nothing will ever, uh, like grabbing your longboard, dragging it down to the beach, surfing some fun little three foot peelers, hanging five, doing your deal, getting in trim, experiencing the ocean, all that it is there, cutting your foot on the reef. It's just, none of that can ever be replaced by any amount of wave pool. And that's fine. And I don't think they're trying to do that. I'm not saying they're trying to do that. I'm just saying it's two different experiences. And, uh, the more that our culture or our pseudo culture moves towards that, I think the greater it is for you and I, I want to go down to the local beachy and enjoy a wave in the ocean. Yeah. I, and, um, I agree with that. I'll, you know. I'll tell you one thing that was the most interesting and fresh take I've heard on this conversation in a long time from the most unlikely source was Andrew Kidman. So I did a podcast with Andrew Kidman a month or two ago, and um, he's made this new film and book. It's called Big Sky Limited. And it starts off in a wave pool. And I think he had one of Greeno's edge boards made by Greeno that he was like, wanted to test out in a wave pool environment. And Kidman, who is such a traditionalist, yeah, you would expect to be anti-wave pool. And the film yeah. and book ended up being pro-wave pool. And his whole rationale was he went out there and everybody was stoked. Everybody yeah. in the lineup was cheering. There was order in the lineup. Yeah. So everybody waited their turn. There was no back paddling. There was no snaking. Everybody complete order restored. And then not only that, but whoever was up and riding, everybody in the pool was super stoked for. And he's like, that's what surfing was when I was growing up. And now it's just, there's so, you get out of the water sometimes and you're more angry than when you entered the water and everybody's vying for their own and everybody thinks that they're better than they are. And it's just a cesspool. He's like, I don't even surf good days anymore. I only surf crappy days, you know, and I try to just stay away from everybody. But when it, when I got to the wave pool, I just realized I want to be here more. This is revitalized the childlike stoke that I used to feel. Yeah. Which is, that's true. And uh, look, we're not saying, I'm certainly not saying that 
wave pools are bad. I'm saying they're just two different things. And I, as you know, I love wave pools. You know, I'm a big fan of surfing in them. I, they're a lot of fun. And Andrew's right. There is a lot of order and there's a lot of stuff that seems to be missing from the ocean experience at a crowded spot. Um, well, it would be the ultimate irony if right. the wave pool yeah. restores order to the surf world. Yeah. It's funny, you know, when I was in Indo, we had a full on order, you know, like there was never any snaking. Right. You knew your position. If a wave came and you didn't want it, you raised your hands and the guy next in line went. If a wave came and you paddled for it and you didn't catch it, you went from number one priority to number two priority. If a wave came and you paddled for it and you pulled back, you went to the back of the line. It was well explained prior to the first session and everyone adhered to it. And it really took a lot of the anxiety away from your sessions. Um, it's so easy. And I'm kind of a frother, you know, like I'm, I'm, I'm certainly not one to hold back from paddling up the point if somebody's not way up at the takeoff spot, right. you know, but I would just go, Hey man, we got to move up, you know, like takeoff spots up here. Let's get up here to the spot, you know? Yeah. And, um, anyway, it's, it's interesting what Andrew brings up that, that, he found a little bit of joy in um, the concept or the idea that some of the anxiety of limited resources are gone with a wave pool. Yeah. I think the order that you're talking about can exist up to a certain number of people in the lineup. Exactly. And, that, and I think it's around maybe six. Well, it depends on the lineup. <laughs> yeah, it does. But And how many waves are coming through? That's the thing. There's just so many variables yeah. in the ocean that at some point all rules get thrown out. And in fact, many surfers I know don't want any rules and it's a meritocracy and, and it just gets so wishy-washy and so nuanced and so gray. There's so much gray area that well nobody knows what's happening, but there, in some ways that's kind of okay. Well, you know, the reality is there is a meritocracy in the order that you described that you experienced in that trip because you being second or third in line and saying to the people ahead of you, we need to go up the point. That's where the takeoff zone is. There's a good chance the person in front of you can't handle the more serious takeoff zone. And so that's why they were sitting on this takeoff zone. And they're now getting pushed to their limits and they're going to wipe out on that first wave and realize their order in the lineup. They're going to go, oh, shoot, this guy, Scott, is a little bit more, you know, better surfer than I am. So I don't need to hold pole position. I should be second or third in the line because I can't make that takeoff anyways. Yeah, that's true. And it brings up, a, you know, it's kind of fascinating and, and full disclosure, even if we went up to the takeoff spot, it was still that guy's turn to go. Like, you know, we would, we would wait until they caught away. But he'll realize we... his place in the lineup pretty quickly. Yeah, it does happen, especially after they catch three or four waves, they get a little bit tired yeah. and they're just kind of like meandering down the, down the reef. And you're so far up the point at the takeoff spot that you're kicking out where they're sitting. Exactly. Yeah. They realize through just natural order of things. And by the way, that's by the way, what we love about the ocean as opposed to the wave pool is we are at the behest of mother nature. And so showing up and it's like you said, two feet and you're going to longboard that day. We didn't design that, but we are in 
partaking in this greater thing that's happening, this greater experiment that's happening. We're just partaking and we're taking a little bit of morsel for our own enjoyment. And then we show up the next day and it's six feet imperfect. And that, so it, it being outside of our design and control is so much of the joy. That's the same thing as going for a hike, you know, and being part of mother nature. But you're in this scenario, I think you're even more enveloped in it because you're in the ocean. And so showing up and dialing up the exact wave you want just somehow doesn't provide the same reward as participating in mother nature does. Well, and it's, it kind of reminds me of our artificial intelligence talk, right? Like there's going to be a yearning and there already is to be analog, yeah. to write stuff with your script, with your handwriting, you know, with, and, and to move away from everything digital. And the wave pools kind of got an AI vibe to it. It's all pre-planned. Every, you know, you're going to catch three waves. You're going to kick out. You're going to go have a soda and a hot dog. You know, it's just, there's no, um, there's no unplanned excitement. Right. Exactly. So I'm going to still surf them wow. when I get the opportunities, but. Oh yeah. Um, They're fun as shit. <laughs> I know. That's the thing. So uh, I've got a couple of must-see moments or just things that are happening in the web land that people should be directed to. I yeah. mentioned a month ago um, that Lost is doing a series five, five by 19 oh and God. a quarter century. We, How's Mason Ho? It was so good. So Mason Ho is incredible. This is a 25 year retrospective kind of look back at that seminal film, but they've updated it, the board that itself, and then uh, getting modern pro surfers to ride that new version of the board and making a, rather than making one full film about it, making episodes for YouTube on it. So it's five, five by 19 and a quarter century dot, dot, dot century. Um, and episode five just got released and yeah, Mason and Mike Ho, uh, Rasta Rob, Griff Colapinto, they're in Hawaii. I think they're in Indo. I think they're in, and then they do the wave pool as well. Uh, Kelly's wave pool right before that event. So epic surfing, the series is great. And yeah, I can't say enough good things about it. It's for free on YouTube. Is Mason Ho. So many times during our podcast over the years, we've identified somebody as the greatest surfer right now on the planet. I've mentioned at one time, I was like, Kai Lenny's the greatest surfer of all time right now. And we've mentioned, perhaps it was Kelly at one point. And I know we've mentioned some other people. I'm sure Dane Reynolds was that guy at some point. I think Mason Ho is that guy. Mason Ho is the greatest surfer on the planet right now. I mean, you take any WSL guy, whatever, who do you want to watch? Who do you actually want to watch? Mason. If you're given a choice between Ethan Ewing and Mason Ho. Mason. Mason's up there and John John's up there too. Yeah. They're just incredible. I know. Mason's just, they're just so. So fun. They're just so fun. That's, that's what it is, right? He, that's what surfing's supposed to be is fun. He bottom turns up into this barrel, left hand, backside, cranks, the thing's overhead, cranks off the bottom, kicks up into the section that's, you know, right where he's going to stand to get barreled and then looks back into the tube for a minute and then just looks forward again and does a lean back is just like, <laughs> it's so sick, you know, like those little details, the look back into yeah. the tube, there's no points on offer if you were on the WSL doing that, but there is so much pizzazz and charisma in it. It's incredible. Yeah. Yeah, it is. 
He's the man. He's the man. Yeah. yeah it's fun to watch. Well, you Super mentioned, fun to watch. you mentioned Dane Reynolds. He also just posted or he's touring actually a little video in Southern California right now. I think it's called from the rafters. And he went to the channel islands factory and grabbed a bunch of boards out of the rafters there. So they're riding an old, like an old Kelly Slater. Yeah. An old, an old Tom Curran, uh, old Kelly Slater board. And, um, it's rad to see how they surf boards. They, I actually remember Tom writing that exact board. I remember Kelly writing that exact board and Taylor Steele films in the nineties, you know? And so it's so cool to see Dane ripping on it as well. Yeah. And, um, I know the guys that there's, lost there's some other guys that do that. There's a guy in Australia that's doing that where he's just grabbing boards, fixing them up and ripping on them. And I saw one of them yesterday. I can't remember his name, but, um, Pretty cool. Well, and the guys, uh, the Alani brothers who are doing the couch surfing show did that recently too, with a couple boards from lost. It was like a Taj burrow, uh, thruster that they had a couple of the young local groms ride at lowers. Maybe even Ian crane was riding it too. And yeah, it's just, it's so thin and narrow and chippy, but it's interesting to see how it's interesting to see it being ridden again. Yeah. You know? Yeah, so. it is. Those are fun little series where they do that. And um, you should go check that out for yeah. sure. Right on, Scott. Hey, you know what? Uh, coming up on the Boardroom Show podcast, Ooh. Uh, Thomas Bexon. Nice. From Australia. Um, I'm going to be interviewing him on Friday. And of course, Thomas is part of the Shape Off, honoring Bing Copeland this year at the Boardroom Show. October 7th and 8th in Del Mar. Thomas will be competing against, as all of these shapers honor Bing Copeland um, and presented by U.S. Blanks, Thomas Bexon will be uh, competing against and honoring Bing. It'll be Dane Purley from San Diego here, Michael Arnall, who's on a recent boardroom podcast, Rick Rock, Hank Warner, San Diego legend, Wayne Rich from... Uh, up in the Santa Barbara area, Josh Peterson from Hawaii via the East coast, Florida and Roger Hines. So those eight shapers will be honoring being Copeland, uh, in the shape off during the boardroom show. Um, of course the surfboard industry, David, all the best craftsmen, shapers, designers under one roof offering great deals on surfboards, wetsuits and gear. And David, we have exhibitors coming from Brazil, from Italy, from Australia, from Hawaii, from New Jersey, from Florida. And again, smoking hot deals on surfboards. Uh, with the upcoming El Nino season here bearing down on us, we are in an El Nino. October is the time to buy your fall and winter surf gear at the largest surfboard marketplace in the world, the boardroom show. Yeah, and they are um, does building boards. Those exhibitors are building boards that are the you know, best boards essentially that they're building throughout the year, all the bells and whistles to be available, to be uh, on display there. So if you can grab one of those, it's going to be the coolest version of a board. And speaking of on display, um, best in show this year, the category is Bonzer. We've got some incredible entries already. People are fired up on the best in show category Bonzer. So uh, anyone can enter, any board builder in the world can enter the best in show and be a part of the boardroom show. All you got to do is build a Bonzer. Send us an email. Let us know you want to be in it. There's cash and prizes, and um, we'd love to see you at the boardroom show. It would be a great time for you uh, if you're a young builder to show off your stuff. Um, so check out boardroomshow.com for information on all of that. 
And you and I will both be there too. That's right. Yeah. Kissing hands, shaking babies. That's right. Shaking a few babies. All right. Well, David, I know you have a heart out, right? You've got things to do here this morning. So um, until next time, adios and aloha. Aloha.